Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Barry, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we got a big one tomorrow. Yes, we do. This is uh, this is huge, Carson. I mean, Oklahoma State Baylor rematch of the Big Twelve Championship game. This is the first conference game Oklahoma State has played since. So, back to back conference games for Oklahoma State against the Bears and uh, revenge. Revenge is uh, is on the table for Oklahoma State. You calling it the Spencer Sanders Revenge Tour? Spencer Sanders Revenge Tour. Yes, he, uh, boy, he's he's got some redeeming to do, doesn't he? After the performance uh, that he put on in Jerry's World last year. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, it certainly wasn't all his fault, but uh, you know, quarterbacks get too much blame, too much credit. But uh, yeah, I think he would have liked that game back. And uh, we'll we'll break down Saturday's matchup against Baylor two thirty. Uh, really, a Big Twelve favorite decider whoever wins this game i think will be the prohibitive favorite to make it at least to jerry world and uh before we break the game down though let's hear from chris's university spirit your one-stop cowboy shop be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com we appreciate them sponsoring the pod as always and colby before we get into the game i think it's important to kind of note kind of where we've come to at this point in 2022 with oklahoma state and baylor i distinctly remember being in college and Baylor was essentially Kansas. They were as bad as any of the Kansas teams we've seen over the last 10 years. And obviously Art Bryles won a lot of football games in a very shady manner and really has brought Baylor to the forefront. But Colby, I think it's just, it's interesting how football programs, conferences evolve over time because Many people thought Baylor shouldn't have been able to join the Big 12. Uh, at the time, the Texas governor was a Baylor alum. That, that had a big reason to do with them getting in. They were a complete detriment to the conference when they arrived. Uh, worn down stadium, all of that. But I think the evolution of college football is on full display with Baylor, Colby, because Mike Gundy mentioned it. They have 300 D1 offer recruits within a four-hour drive of Waco. They're in just a prime location. And we, we, everyone talking about this game coming up on Saturday just talks about the, the obvious that these are two programs who have been on a complete ascent over the past 10, 15 years. And I think it's interesting when you juxtapose what Baylor's become Colby with say Nebraska or Colorado, I think it's interesting, or even Kansas. I mean, the Kansas was way better than Baylor back in the day, in the early days of the Big 12. It's interesting to see how much Baylor has risen, and I think they're here to stay. Yeah, I think so, too, because you, you mentioned the geographical advantage. To be located between Dallas-Fort Worth, San Antonio, Austin, and then you go uh, just a couple hours east, you get to Houston. A few hours east, I guess, you get to Houston. That's a huge advantage. Combine that. Uh, with the fact, I mean, they've got some money rolling through down there in Waco. Waco has become a, a much 
more popular town, uh, you know, Chip and Joanne, all that stuff. Everybody, Waco became like this hot thing. Every time I go through Waco, it's massive construction. You can't hardly get through. Uh, Waco's kind of become a big deal. They've got some big money coming in, and they're in a perfect spot geographically. I don't think they're going anywhere. I think when OU and Texas leave, Oklahoma State and Baylor could very much be set up to be the kind of rivalry at the top of the Big 12 with two teams that are competing, maybe not necessarily making it or winning every year, but competing for that conference championship every year where teams know, okay, we have to go to Stillwater, we have to go to Waco. And I think that that rivalry is already starting to, to kind of show its face as we look toward the future of what happens when OU and Texas are gone. I mean, Oklahoma State and Baylor meeting in the Big 12 uh, championship game last year, Baylor winning that game after Oklahoma State beat them in the regular season. I, I do feel like this is turning into a little bit uh, of a rivalry here. Now, those thing, things take time to really build into something special, but I think that's where we could be headed with Oklahoma State and Baylor. I think you look at the great rivalry that was Oklahoma and Nebraska. They're not a natural regional rivalry, the reason it became a rivalry is they were really good at football and they were deciding the Big 8 conference for years and years and years. That's how rivalries are really established besides just geographically. It's They're born in big-time college football games and but amongst big-time college football programs. And I certainly believe that's what Baylor and Oklahoma State are and, and have become and will continue to do so. Uh, before I talk more about the just where these two programs are. I kind of buried the lead, Colby. I, I teased a big announcement for this podcast. Well, best laid plans sometimes don't always come to fruition, but <laughs> the rest of the way this season, and we were planning on doing our podcast live on YouTube immediately after the game. That was our plan. I have prior obligations to where the 230 kick kind of nicks that. We're hoping to do a live podcast on YouTube Sunday at noon and I'll, I'll tweet out links and and reminders for all of our listeners but some of the big games this year Colby you and I want to go live on YouTube people can interact with us they can comment as the podcast is happening it won't affect your normal podcast outlets I will upload the audio to all your podcasting platforms and it'll still be the podcast as you know it you'll just be able to interact with us live immediately following the game, hopefully, <laughs> pending our, our busy schedules. But uh, I, I'm really excited, Colby, to kind of let fans kind of interact as we're taping the show because I think they'll, they'll be able to contribute. Yeah, I think that that'll really add something to the show. Uh, and I hope everybody will tune in on Sunday at noon. And then hopefully in the future, we can get on a little sooner after the game on Saturdays, depending on kick times uh, and schedules and stuff, because we, we love interacting, interacting with our listeners, but it's always been, Carson, either tweet us questions or people responding after the fact. So we're like, you know, we need to get some some live here with the listeners uh, so that people can interact as we're going. I think that that will help the content. Uh, I think that it'll bring the listeners into the show a little bit more, which is great because we love all the support that we get here on the pod. So uh, looking forward to that this week on uh, Sunday. Our schedules were mismatched Saturday night, so we're going to do Sunday at noon. Uh, but yeah, we're going to keep doing that for all the conference games uh, coming up this season and hopefully a conference championship game. And then after that who knows but yeah looking forward to getting more interaction with the listeners uh because we we can't express enough how much we appreciate you guys support and how much you really add to the show so sunday at noon uh youtube we'll tweet out the links all that good stuff follow us at colby j powell on twitter and then at carson uh underscore okc on twitter to make sure that you're with us sunday at noon turn the red zone on the tv fire us up on youtube that makes for a good sunday carson We'll get the we'll get the show done before the witching hour occurs on on Red Zone. My favorite uh, moment on Sunday is when 
the witching hour occurs, aka the, the quad boxes, the the octo boxes when they're going from game to game to game as they're ending. And uh, yeah, really excited to um, include the listener in it, and they get to to see our, our pretty faces, Colby. That'll that'll be exciting. I think we'll. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa! I hopefully, it's my- not HD. <laughs> I have to show my face on this deal. Let's uh, I'm going to sit as far back from the camera as possible. <laughs> Put it on your orange. Like, just make sure you're framed up with that pretty orange wall you have at your house. Oh, I do have an orange wall, don't I? I can sit in front of the orange wall. I think that'll yeah, work. That, that'd be good. Um, back to kind of my, my overall point on, on Baylor and Oklahoma State. Like, Baylor, it, it's kind of amazing with everything that happened with Art Bryles and all the everything that occurred there. They've shown that they are committed to winning at football with their checkbook. They hire Matt Rule. Didn't seem like a fit. Kind of come from come from the East Coast. They paid him big time money. He hired smart people like uh, Joey McGuire, who's now the head coach at Texas Tech, who knows Texas football. And I think they've they've proven they're coach proof. I mean, they they make another big money hire in Dave Aranda, who's proven to be a a really good head coach. Certain programs and, you know, football programs across the country aren't committed to winning and paying what it takes to win. I think when you see what they've done coming out of the Art Bryles situation with Matt Rule, Dave Aranda, that kind of furthers my point, Colby, that Baylor's here to stay. And look, we all know what they used to be, and they're, they're still not taken totally serious nationally yet, even though they won the Big 12 won the Sugar Bowl over Ole Miss and continued to have a really good season this year, even though they lost to BYU. They had a really good road win at Iowa State. They're committed to winning, and I think it's interesting too, Colby, the the history kind of with Mike Gundy. It's easy to forget. He was an assistant for one year at Baylor. He had a very strange kind of meandering career right after he left Oklahoma State, was an assistant at Baylor, was an assistant – at Maryland, came back to Oklahoma State. I think he kind of saw the potential when he was there of what we've mentioned with all the recruits being in the area. And I think Mike has seen firsthand what that job can be. He flirted with Baylor a couple years ago because I think he has seen the potential and he has seen what they're they're doing down there, building a stadium and and all the success they've, they've really put into the football program. Yeah, Carson, I knew that Mike Gundy spent a year down there, but I had totally forgotten about it until you just mentioned it. It is an interesting little relationship. We remember when things weren't so good between Mike Gundy and the administration, uh, and he was he was flirting. He, he was flirting not only with Baylor, Tennessee, a couple of schools he was flirting with, but yeah, Baylor was on that list because uh, I think he did see the potential there, and I think that they wound up hitting a home run with Dave Aranda. Matt Rule was a really good coach. Uh, he's been okay in the NFL, but I, I don't think that that's really indicative of, of how good of a job that he did at Baylor, especially considering what he was coming into because that situation post-Art Bryles was messy, Carson. I mean, it was really messy. Everyone calling for the NCAA to do things that the NCAA didn't maybe necessarily have the power to do it, including myself. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the NCAA like, what are y'all doing here? Um, But that kind of seems like it has passed. The the wave of hatred that I think everyone had for Baylor has kind of passed because they've righted the ship somewhat down there. Uh, I think the Matt Rule era was good for Baylor to kind of, uh, you know, they went in the tank for a couple of years, which I think everyone 
everyone enjoyed following what happened uh, under Art Bryles and Kendall Bryles uh, and Jeff Levy, that whole family down there. And then you, you look at the Matt Rule era, and now you get kind of the fresh start, I think, with Dave Aranda, which was a phenomenal hire. I think he's done a great job down there. Baylor is a physical football team, Carson. They, they want to hit you. Um, and Oklahoma State was physical last year, and, and they played two hard-fought games. Uh, defensive struggle in Stillwater. Combined score was 38 points uh, on the total. Combined score in the Big 12 championship game was 37 points. I mean, these teams both were just punching each other in the mouth last year. Uh, for eight quarters. So uh, I don't know if we're going to see quite as much of that this year because I think the offenses are a little bit better and I think both defenses lost a little bit. But I still think it's a really good matchup uh, between two programs who have some very intriguing recent history. Very much so. And it's also important to note how Oklahoma State got here. I mean, Colby, going into that Boise State road game, I questioned the direction of the program because over the previous three years, going into that 2021 season, going into that Boise State game, my Gundy had a 67% win percentage, way below what he had been doing at Oklahoma State. You wondered, where was OSU football going? Were they ever going to get back to the level they were when they were competing for Big 12 championships? Well, since that Boise State game, they've won 17 of 19 games. They've beaten Notre Dame. They've beaten Oklahoma. And I think it's important to reflect and praise Mike Gundy for the job that he's done because it was not pretty there after, after Mason Rudolph and James Washington left in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020 were rough. Now 2020 was obviously impacted somewhat by COVID, but what Mike Gundy's done is he's elevated Oklahoma state back to perennial conference championship contenders. I believe they ranked, they've ranked inside the top 10, uh, seven of the past nine years, something like that. Uh, it's been really remarkable to see Mike kind of prove once again that he's one of the best college football coaches in America. Yeah, it has, and he's done a great job, and he deserves uh, a ton of credit. He's gotten some more so nationally, but Carson, what you have to do to get the national people to pay attention, it can't be two years on and then kind of three or four years getting back to that spot and then two years in the national spotlight, three or four years getting back to that spot. It's got to be every year, right? And I think that's why I'm so optimistic about the new look Big 12. I think it gives Oklahoma State a better chance to be in that conversation Every year, once you're not in the shadow of OU and even Texas, Texas has been a joke for the last 12 years, but they still get all the national prominence just because they're Texas and they have the money and they have the logo. They're in Austin, fun, fun, happening city uh, in the U.S. right now. So you have to stack it, right? And I think Mike Gunny's starting to do that a little bit. We're seeing good young talent come through on both sides of the ball for Oklahoma State. A uh, little better recruits. You look at uh, Kendall Daniels, uh, Brennan and Braylon, those guys. Ollie Gordon was a good one. Garrett Rangel, we don't know what he's going to look like in the future. They actually uh, just offered Zach Wilson's little brother, who is a four-star quarterback. So we'll see if that materializes into anything. But you, you've got to stack success to get that credit nationally, Carson. And I feel like Mike Gundy is on the cusp of doing that. I feel like Oklahoma State is on the cusp of breaking through to that next tier where it's not, oh, look, Oklahoma State popped 
popped up uh, for their one class where everything clicks once every four years. No, no, no. This is a year-in, year-out scenario where, you know, eight wins is a down year, seven wins is a disaster. That's where Oklahoma State has to get to as a program, and I feel like they're very much on the way there. The question is, can they sustain once you start to change quarterbacks and stuff, your veteran leaves, uh, but I'm optimistic that they can, and that is what will garner more of that respect nationally when you start doing it year in and year out. Yep, absolutely. You mentioned quarterbacks. Let's talk about the quarterback matchup. Uh, we all know what Spencer's done. We've we've talked all year about how, how great he's looked so far. It seems like he's really made, made the leap, but there's always a but when the name Baylor comes up because we all remember what happened last year. Seven interceptions combined in the two meetings with Baylor. Going up against Blake Shapin, who played in the Big 12 championship game, kind of carved OSU up in the first half, did very little in the second half. But it's kind of gone under the radar that since Baylor went 2-7 and seven during that COVID-riddled year, they're averaging more than 40 points per game on offense. They've, they've really kind of found their stride offensively, uh, due in large part, I think, to Blake Shapin kind of taking over, throwing the football more uh, lately. And this Richard Reese running back's really good. We'll talk about him too. But Colby, how do you see this quarterback matchup? Um, Blake Shapin, he's not, he doesn't get you out of your seat. He doesn't, uh, he's not going to list any, lead any Heisman lists. But I think he really kind of found his footing against Oklahoma State in the uh, Big 12 title game last year. And he's coming off a really good performance against Iowa State. Yeah, I think Blake Shapin is exactly good. I think he's a good college quarterback. I don't think he's going to make a ton of mistakes. We'll see how much pressure Oklahoma State's defensive line can put on him. Uh, I don't think he's going to do anything super special that can wow you. You know, he's he's the opposite of Spencer Sanders. Spencer Sanders might, I mean, you might see him make a big mistake. Spencer Sanders, Carson, in his career against Baylor, in four starts, he's hit for the cycle against Baylor. His first career start, one interception. Second career start against Baylor, two interceptions. Third start against Baylor, three interceptions. Fourth start against Baylor, four interceptions. Hoping that we don't go five. The the only thing he hasn't done against Baylor is either five or zero. So hopefully we get the zero and not the five. But Shapin's kind of the opposite of that. He, he's not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's not going to make the wow plays either. That's what we, you get from Spencer. You get a, a couple more mistakes, which he's cut down on much more as he's become more of a veteran at Oklahoma State. And we've gotten more of the wow with Spencer, especially in the run game. Carson, uh, Spencer Sanders, in, in the win last year in Stillwater, he ran for 76 yards against Baylor. In his other three starts against Baylor, he's not run for more than 35 yards. I don't expect him to, to have a, a slow rushing day Saturday against Baylor. I feel like they, they just need to let him go because that's when this offense is at his best. And I think that that gives him a freedom knowing that he can take off and getting some of those designed runs in there, making the defense respect that. I really think that that would benefit him in the passing game too, just taking some of the pressure off. So uh, I don't know about you, but I expect to see a another maybe 75-plus yard rushing game out of Spencer Sanders on Saturday. They're going to need it because Baylor is unbelievable at, at stopping the run. They held Iowa State to like 2.7 yards per carry. They did very little on the ground, and that's something that we saw in the Big 12 title game. OSU has a, a really hard time running the ball against uh, Baylor's defensive line and Siaki Ika, the, the big, gigantic defensive tackle. Obviously not having David Godlewski last year in the Big 12 title game proved to be massive. We all remember the the goal line struggles. I believe it was five trips on, on the one-yard line. Uh, no, they only had one touchdown, I believe. 
and um, you know, four straight plays there down into the Big 12 title game. So they're going to need him to run because OSU's running game has left a lot to be desired thus far in the season. And this is by far the biggest test they're going to face maybe all year, really, on, on the defensive line. So I, th- I think Spencer spreading him out, getting him on the move, letting him scramble, letting him do his thing that we've seen already this year. I think that's that's one of the biggest keys in this game. Now, because Colby, I, I don't know how you feel about Baylor's overall strategy, but my, my biggest concern with this matchup with the offense for OSU against Baylor's defense is I really see Baylor kind of leaving two high safeties, taking away the deep shot that Spencer loves to throw and not rushing, just rushing four and, and getting home with four and really forcing Spencer to do with what he struggled with the most in his career. And what I believe is those short throws over the middle where he doesn't see linebackers, doesn't see nickelbacks, guys kind of kind of laying in wait on him throwing over the middle. And if he's not able to hit the deep shots and they're not able to run the football, that's going to put a lot of pressure on him throwing the ball on those short routes over the middle and, and maybe even to the seams. Yeah, it definitely is. It seems like Dave Aranda has cracked Spencer Sanders in a way that uh, other teams haven't been able to as much. I I sat down earlier, Carson, and I just I wrote down a bunch of numbers and I did a bunch of math on Spencer Sanders. So in four starts against Baylor, he has thrown 10 interceptions. That's two and a half per game that he is throwing against Baylor. Now, in 31 starts against Everyone else that he's played, he's thrown 22 picks. He's thrown 0.7 interceptions per game against all the teams not named Baylor. Two and a half a game against Baylor. He's throwing nearly four times as many interceptions against Baylor as he is against everyone else on the schedule, and I don't understand it. You look at his completion percentage against Baylor versus career, 62.6 against Baylor, 62.8 career. Uh, passing yardage per game is about 10 difference. Not that not that big. Uh, touchdown per game is only about point three off from what it is for his career. Everything else for his career is pretty much statistically in line against Baylor with what he does against everyone else. Interceptions are just this huge outlier that I can't understand, Carson. Seven in two games last year. Uh, again, three and a half times as many against Baylor in his career as he has against everyone else. It, it's almost like when you're trying to preview this game, you can just say, okay, if Spencer throws one or less interceptions, one or zero interceptions, then Oklahoma State probably going to win this game because that is where Spencer's at most of his career. Spencer's a very winning quarterback in his career. Uh, barring injury, he's going to be the winningest quarterback in Oklahoma State history by the time this this season is over, but once he gets to that second one, this one I'm telling OSU fans, if he throws one tomorrow, don't panic. Don't panic after one. One happens. He threw one against Arizona State. Baylor picks a lot of guys off. They're a good defense. When he throws one, don't panic. When he throws that second one, now we now the wheels are going to be turning for me upstairs because now are we getting into a situation where we're, we're getting Baylor Spencer again where it's going to be snowball effect and one becomes two and two becomes three and like in the Big 12 championship game, three becomes four. That can't happen because that's too much to overcome. If he just throws one, don't panic. Anything more than that, Carson, I'm... I'm going to be doing the whole the whole sigh thing where it's like, oh boy, here we go. Where where does this stop? Yep, I think that's that's going to decide the game because uh, this game is going to be a close game and those turnovers just are, are really really hard to overcome no matter who you're playing, let alone a, a defense like Baylor that you know is just so good. I mean they're they're ranked ninth in the country, allowing just 79 rushing yards per game. I mean it's it's tough and that puts a lot of pressure on your quarterback 
already. Uh, so yeah, I think that's that's by far the biggest key in the game. Is, is Spencer really turned the corner against a, an elite defense like Baylor is? Because they are number one in the nation in points per game, and we, we all know the numbers that Spencer's put up. But this is a totally different test. And I am curious on the other side of the ball, OSU's defense, can they get home? Can they get to Blake Shapin? Because the blueprint's been out as far as last year. I mean, the, the first half against Baylor, he kind of dinked and dunked his way down the field over the middle. Uh, that's been a susceptible part of the OSU defense this year. Notre Dame had the same success in the first half doing the same things. I'm curious, Colby, if the blueprint's kind of out. We saw Central Michigan. The quick throwing game, I think, is going to be a real problem uh, for Oklahoma State. It's something they're going to have to adjust to and, and kind of recalibrate because that's that's really the way to beat this defense. You're not going to drop back and sit there for six seconds and, and throw it deep down the field. You're just not. No, you're not. The defensive front is too good for Oklahoma State. The pass rushers uh, are too good. You can only keep those guys at bay for so long. And I, I almost wonder for Oklahoma State and Derek Mason if there's been more emphasis on, okay, if we notice that they're going to that quick passing game, we're not going to be able to get there. Everybody get your hands up. I mean, I'm looking for batted balls tomorrow if Baylor goes to that strategy. Everybody get your hands up as high in the air as you can. Make windows for shaping just almost impossible to throw through because you, you've got to do something, right? You, you can hope that those young guys who haven't played very much football together in, in the linebackers and the secondary, you can hope that those guys are going to figure it out as far as communication. They're not going to lose track of guys in that short, quick passing game. But hope doesn't win football games. You know, I, I really, I want to see the defensive line with their hands in the air tomorrow if Baylor's going to the quick passing game. Uh, third, and, third and eight, stuff like that. That's when you can pin your ears back. But just whenever they're lining up in shotgun and boom, 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 dink, 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 throwing little five-yard crossers and stuff like that, uh, uh, some of the guys up front, I think, are going to have to help the guys behind them out by by batting some balls down at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and again, Carson, the guys on the back end, they just they have to be better than they were in that Central Michigan game. We didn't we haven't seen as much of it in the two games since uh, against two pretty poor opponents. It's it's hard, Carson, because the sample size is so small. And and that Central Michigan game, it was fine for two and a half quarters, and then it just it all went to hell the last what twenty game minutes of that game. The sample size is so so small that you know we're making this out to be a problem because it's all we've seen. Hopefully tomorrow it's better. Uh, but again, ho hope is not what wins football games. So. If they're struggling on the back end, uh, then those guys up front with those long wingspans, get your hands up in the air and try to make those throwing lanes for Blake Shapin as small as possible. Absolutely. And so it's it's just a, it sucks that it's the first Big 12 game of the year because we all know the Big 12 openers. Uh, Mike has struggled in those. I believe he has a losing record in Big 12 openers. It just it stinks that a marquee matchup like this is the first Big 12 game of the year. But it is what it is. It, it's a massive matchup. Before we get to our game picks, Colby, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uniform preview brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Okay, we got a road road matchup, Colby. They can only wear the white jersey. What else are they going to rock on uh, on Saturday at 2.30? Yeah, so I went back and looked at the uh, the last three road games that they played in Waco. In 20, they went orange, white, orange, and they won. In 18, they went black, white, white, 
they lost. And in 16, they went with the All-Whites, and they lost. So in the last three trips to Waco, they've only won one of those. It was against that team that went 2-7 and seven the COVID year. That game was originally scheduled for, I think, late September, early October. Got moved to, like, December 12th because of COVID. Uh, and it was just – it was weird. It was a disaster. Oklahoma State won 42-3. But I think that they're going to go back to the well uh, and wear what they wore in 20 for that big win. That was orange-white-orange, Carson. So I'll go orange-white-orange, and I think that they're even going to wear the same helmets. Maybe they're not superstitious, but maybe they are a little stitious. Uh, give me the orange helmets with the stripe going down the middle, the uh, the white stripe with the little two black stripes on either side of it, and the cursive cowboys. That's what they will wear in 20. That's what they're going to wear in 22. You nailed it because, look, they've won, what, once or twice since two, I think once since 2009 in Waco. Maybe 2020 was the second time, which – that was just a weird, weird game with, with COVID and everything. So they haven't had a lot of success down there, and they have proven to be superstitious. So I think that's what they're probably going to go with since they won there the last time out. I'll be different. I'll go all white. It's going to be hot in Waco uh, on Saturday. 2.30 kick. It's going to be 100 degrees on the field probably. I haven't looked at the weather, but it's Waco. It's still hot down there. So I'll go all white with the cursive Cowboys helmet as well, but the white version. And uh, I think they're going to go icy white, all white for uh, the Baylor Bears just to be different. But I think you probably probably nailed it. Do you like the uh, do you like the orange helmet, white jersey, orange pants look? It's I actually I don't like it as much as as the icy all whites. Um, it's an okay look. It's not one of my favorite looks that they rock. By the way, Carson, tomorrow it is going to be hot in Waco, but it's going to be beautiful. It's eighty six. Just totally sunny, uh, very little wind. I mean, that's pretty good football weather. But, yes, it will be hot down on that turf, probably nearing 100 down on that turf. So maybe you nailed it. Maybe they'll go uh, with the all-whites to try to beat the heat in a, a an October 1st game against Baylor. Maybe so. I, the thing about the orange-white-orange to me, just on TV when it's that high, the high camera that you watch the game on, like it kind of looks like the Cleveland Browns to me. Do you get Cleveland Browns vibes when you see the orange, white, orange? Mm, yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't. It does look kind of, kind of cluttered because the orange is bouncing around from the helmets and the pants. It's uh, again, I like it. Like individually, I like that orange helmet. I don't know something about splitting the two oranges with the white. It's, it's not my favorite look. Uh, but again, we're we're splitting hairs here. All, all the looks are good for Oklahoma State. They just have some looks that are elite that we like to go to. I don't, I don't think the orange-white-orange is elite. Uh, I think it's just a good look. Yep, I agree with that. It's it's a nice change-up. I, I, I like it. I can dig it. Uh, anything but the... I like the orange Curse of Cowboys more than I like the um, the giant orange Pete oh, chrome sorry. helmet. I don't, I don't like giant Pete. Never have. Uh, all right, Colby. Uh, decision time. Uh, what is your pick for Oklahoma State Baylor at 2.30 on Saturday? Yeah, this uh, this one was not easy, Carson. It, it wasn't because you have to decide how much better is Spencer Sanders. How much more prepared is he to lead his team to a win against Baylor in Waco after, I mean, he's got scar tissue, Carson. Seven last year, two the year before. Um I think he's a better player. I, I do. My trust in Spencer Sanders is at an all-time high. I think his trust amongst the Oklahoma State fan base is at an all-time high. I think his trust amongst his coaches is at an all-time high. He's playing more confidently. 
I, I'm, I'm going to believe in him that that translates to tomorrow. I do think that he'll throw a pick, but I don't think he throws multiple. I think he's in, in a better situation in his career, taking better care of the ball. I do think this is a very close game in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's ahead 27-24 to 24 with seven or eight minutes left, and I think they go down and score. I've got Oklahoma State winning 34-24 to 24 in Waco. Uh, a lot of unknowns about both of these teams. We will know a ton uh, about Big 12 supremacy after this game tomorrow. So uh, here in about 30 hours, Carson, we will know who is the favorite in this conference. And I think it's going to be Oklahoma State because I do think that they are the best team in the conference. So I'll take the pokes, 34-24. to 24. Double digits, huh? Yeah, again, I think it's going to be close. I, th- I think it's a fourth-quarter touchdown that stretches it out. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think Oklahoma State is the best team in the conference. And Baylor, while I do think they looked good in Ames last week, uh, I don't think they looked good in Utah a few weeks ago. They, they have played more meaningful football than Oklahoma State. You hope that the rust isn't there for the Cowboys after ha- having your, your FCS scrimmage against Pine Bluff and then a bye. But that also gives you a lot of time to prep for this Baylor team. Uh, so I'll take the prep over the rust and uh, I will have faith that Spencer Sanders is is a different guy this year and doesn't go out uh, and continually give Baylor extra possessions. You're not concerned at all that, you know, we might be looking back on Sunday and say, well, yeah, OSU, they, they beat a bad Arizona State team. They kind of struggled defensively against Central Michigan and played a cream puff in Arkansas Pine Bluff. Well, of course, they didn't go down to Waco and win. I mean, I think it would it would make a lot of sense in hindsight looking at the schedule because we really don't know enough about Oklahoma State this year. Yeah, Spencer's look great. Looks like a different quarterback, but are you hesitant at all based on the the resume and the unknown? Yeah, there are a lot of unknowns. I, I do think that there are Quite a few knowns, though. I mean, I, I think that Braylon, uh, pardon me, Brennan Presley is a known. I think Jaden Bray, uh, John Paul Richardson, I think those guys are knowns. I think Dominic Richardson is a known. And, and that defensive front, I mean, Trace Ford uh, comes back. He looks great. Colin Oliver, Tyler Lacey, Sione Ossie, Brendan Evers, those guys. Those are knowns, and, and that's enough for me because those guys are playing a high, high level of football. I think getting Jaden Bray back helps. Even if Oklahoma State goes down and loses this game, Carson, that, that to me is not, okay, panic button. Are, are we looking at a 10-win team here or a 6-win team here? I think this is a really good team. It's kind of like OU last year, last week, loses to Kansas State. There's this weird phenomenon in college football where OU can't lose to or can't beat Kansas State. I don't think that's necessarily indicative of their entire season. They lose to K-State every year and they win 10 games. So if OSU does lose to Baylor, uh, I, I definitely think that there will be a little bit of questioning how much do we really know about this team having only played one real opponent and they lost to them. Uh, but I don't think that it will make me change my tune on them being one of the best teams in the conference. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. Whichever team wins that game tomorrow, I will tell you on Sunday that that is the best team in the conference. Uh, if OSU loses, I'm not going to come out here and say, oh, it was fluky. I still think OSU is the best team in the conference. No, they're they're playing tomorrow to see who is the best team in the Big 12 uh, right now as we head into October. And I'm I'm hopeful uh, and optimistic that that will be Oklahoma State. Yep, I uh, I've wrestled with this game all week. Um, I picked Baylor to win the league coming into the year. And I just think going to Waco, it's, it's a tough place to play. We've seen the lack of success OSU's had over the years. I just, I really am concerned. The, the Big 12 opener thing is a trend for a reason. 
And why is it a trend? Well, I think Oklahoma State, they, they do schedule one good non-conference opponent per year. We all can agree with that. But they don't really, they aren't really quite prepared for big level competition, it seems, in that opener. Whether it's, you know, pl- playing a Big 12 team, whether it's, you know, new offensive coordinators, new defensive coordinators, lacking cohesion coming into the year. I don't know. But the history of going to Waco combined with the Big 12 opener, combined with I just think Baylor's really good, a really good football team. I picked them to win the league for a reason. I've seen you know, nothing to, to hint otherwise. I know they lost a tough game on the road at nine, whatever it was, o'clock at night on the road at BYU. I, I understand all those things, but I'm very concerned just about the offense and the fact that I don't believe they're going to be able to run the football. Uh, Siaki Ika, the defensive tackle, Mike Gundy said he's a problem. He should be playing on Sundays. We saw that last year in the Big 12 title game. I just... It's going to, everything is going to be so much harder on Spencer Sanders. And I do believe that they're going to put two high safeties and force Spencer to dink and dunk, which he doesn't like to do. He likes to go for the big shot. And you combine that, the lack of success running the football, putting all the pressure on Spencer, that's a bad recipe. It's just, it just is. And then you look on the other side of the football. OSU's defense, to me, has proven susceptible to giving up big passing plays. I think Blake Shapin is capable of beating them through the air. So while I do think this game is going to be close, I think Baylor matches up really well against Oklahoma State on both sides. Now, could Oklahoma State come out and have a really good game running the football? They could. If they get... If they get Ollie Gordon in there and he has a breakout game, I think they're certainly capable of surprising a lot of people running the football. I just don't see that happening in this game. I think Baylor's going to slow Spencer down enough and make enough big plays in their passing game uh, to win the game. And I, I'm going close game. I'm going to go 28-24 Baylor. Uh, that would be a, a cover for Baylor, but still a really close game. And, and look, at, at no point would I be surprised if OSU won this football game. I want to make that clear. And I don't just pick against Oklahoma State just to pick against them. Like, I am looking at this objectively. There are plenty of other people that cover Oklahoma State that may may or may not do podcasts that that cover the team that will just tell you what you want to hear. But I I believe if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to get my honest assessment of OSU football. And sometimes people get mad about that. People got mad when I questioned where the program was going despite a 67% win percentage over the previous three years. That's fine. But I'm always going to shoot it straight. And so I'm sure people are listening to this. Well, how can Carson pick Baylor to beat Oklahoma State? Like, it's nothing against Oklahoma State. But I wouldn't be doing this podcast right. I wouldn't be doing it any justice just to come on here and say, well, I think Oklahoma State's going to win and they're going to go undefeated this year. No one wants to hear that. So Oklahoma State can still win the Big 12 championship. They might even win on Saturday. Again, I would not be surprised if they do so. But looking at the matchup coming into this game, I can't pick Oklahoma State. I don't believe they're going to be able to run the football. I think Spencer will play well at times and and have big plays. I just think Baylor's going to have slightly more. That's the difference for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't – look, 
we're both kind of guessing here. It, it's, it's October 1st tomorrow, right? I mean, we don't have huge sample sizes on these teams, both of us. Whenever we did our Big 12 preview in August, we, we just went through the schedule game by game, and we assigned win-loss. I said that I thought Oklahoma State was going to beat Baylor. Uh, I think the revenge factor, I think Oklahoma State really wants this one. L- let me ask you this. So Oklahoma State, obviously Mike Gundy, not the best record in conference openers. Now, usually the bye week doesn't fall week four. Usually week four, you're playing your conference opener. I, I almost wonder, too, Oklahoma State came out of the non-con very healthy and, and maybe even getting increasingly healthy with Jaden Bray. So the, the, the bye week coming in, Pine Bluff the week before, I, I do think that there's a potential element of rust, like I said earlier, but I do also think that this is a little bit of a different conference opener because, I mean, depending on how much time they spend on Pine Bluff, this is all offseason that you had to think about that Big 12 championship game last year. You come up one inch short of winning a conference title, and then you get the week off prior to Baylor to to watch their game against Iowa State to prepare for them. Uh, Spencer's a little more veteran. I, I don't know. The conference opener thing doesn't scare me as much because, again, your bye just usually, I feel like, doesn't fall in week four. Uh, so you're usually coming out of your third conference game. You've got five, six days to prepare. Boom, you're right out on the field. I think the week off uh, with a veteran leading your offense, I, I, the, the, the conference opener thing doesn't scare me as much as it would probably in other years, Carson. Oh, that's a fair point. I think something's got to give on that. It could go one of two ways. It could be, once again, a, another struggle in a, a conference opener or the the special circumstances of having the bye week and especially with having Arkansas Pine Bluff the week before. They could be as prepared for one single big-time matchup as they ever have, really. I mean, because usually when they're playing Oklahoma, it's the last game of the year and they're beat up and they have one week to prepare. So, no, that's a, that's a very valid point. And, and one thing's also kind of worth noting is that I don't think Oklahoma State's truly opened it up. Sure, they've run no huddle. Sure, they've thrown it all over the yard. But you know, Colby, they're they're saving something for Baylor. They're not showing the full playbook against Pine Bluff and Arizona State once they get a lead and all and all of those things. I'm curious to see what they do differently and how they mix up their formations and keep Baylor's you know stout defensive line off balance and try to manufacture not only a running game but just kind of surprise them with uh, some new looks. Yeah, I agree. Kind of try to keep them guessing, right? I mean, how much Braylon Presley uh, do we see tomorrow, if any? How much Ollie Gordon do we see tomorrow, if any? Or is this really uh, very firmly Dominic Richardson's backfield with, you know, 80% of the snaps and then the other guys are just complimentary? Uh, I think a lot of questions are going to be answered tomorrow about personnel offensively for Oklahoma State uh, and about strategy and just kind of plan the way that they utilize those guys because uh, you, you can't be predictable against Dave Aranda and Baylor. Uh, if you are, that's just that's a recipe for disaster. So, uh, and again, I think that the health is a big thing, Carson. This is uh, as healthy as I can remember Oklahoma State being going into October in a long time. That's on the offensive line. That's skill positions. Now, it's been two weeks of practice, and sometimes uh, we'll tune in Saturday to get ready for the game, and Dave Hunziker will have an injury report for us with three or four guys, starters that you lost in practice uh, leading into a game. So hopefully that's not the case tomorrow. But assuming it's not, I think this is as healthy as Oklahoma State's been going into October in a long time. Yeah, they get Jaden Bray back. I'm excited to see him back on the field. And, uh, you know, as much as Ika kind of disrupted them in the Big 12 title game, they didn't have Godlewski, like, <laughs> on one-week notice, basically. And they had a backup center. They have their starters on the offensive line. That's an important thing to note, which I'm, I'm glad you did. So, no, they're, both teams are, are coming into this, you know, full strength and, and ready to go. And 
I can't wait to watch it. It's a, a huge matchup. And again, I, I think it's the future of the Big 12. And I, I can't wait to watch it. Um, anything else strike you around the Big 12? I mean, Oklahoma's going on the road at TCU. That line continues to drop. I think it's down to like four and a half. I last checked. They opened at you know, about seven point favorite. Uh, Max Duggan has the. The artist, the, the artist formerly known as Max Duggan, is back on the scene. Uh, zombie Max Duggan, after uh, Chandler Morris's injury, he's played really well. Uh, he's kind of had some ups and downs against Oklahoma State as well. But uh, Oklahoma has their hands full. K-State hosts Texas Tech. Kansas hosts Iowa State. And Texas hosts West Virginia. But I think the most intriguing of those, Colby, is, is OU visiting TCU because, boy, if they go to Fort Worth and lose, let's go, let's go look at their schedule here. I mean, they got – all the big boys left. They play at TCU this week. Then it's Texas in the Cotton Bowl. Then Kansas at home. Then at Iowa State, Baylor at home, at West Virginia, OSU at home, at Texas Tech. Uh, boy, Sooners better win in Fort Worth on Saturday, Colby. Yeah, and I think that they will, but that's certainly game with the game with the most intrigue uh, in the conference outside of Oklahoma State and Baylor. And if OU had went down and just kind of manhandled Kansas State last weekend in Norman and beat them by two touchdowns or something, I don't think OU-TCU is very intriguing because I'm not sure how good TCU is. But after last week, I'm not sure how good OU is. Is this more indicative of an OU team that has seen a dip with the loss of Lincoln Riley and a lot of the talent that went with him? Or... Is this just the weird phenomenon where they can't beat Kansas State? I don't know. I do think OU wins uh, tomorrow against TCU. I think OU covers. I, I don't think o a TCU is a particularly good football team. They gave up 34 to SMU last week. Uh, so I think OU puts up a bunch of points on them and wins the game. But I do think that that's the most intriguing one uh, outside of what's happening in Waco. And I think the second most intriguing game in the conference is the one in Lawrence, Kansas, because who knows? Who knows if Kansas is any good? Vegas doesn't think so. They've got think so. They've got Iowa State favored in Lawrence. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that one's pretty interesting too. That's a two thirty game as well. So probably won't be keeping a very close eye on that. Uh, probably uh, and then flip over to LSU Baylor. But yeah, it's a pretty good football tomorrow in the Big Twelve. Yep, I think it's going to be a week to week reassessment of the league because who knows what's going to happen this year? I mean, I think there's been. Uh, Barry Trammell had the stat. There's been four conference games and three underdogs won, and they were big underdogs. So if that's any indication, uh, we could be seeing a, a really wild, wide-open uh, Big 12. But make no mistake, whoever wins in Waco, the prohibitive favorite, uh, not only to make it to Cherry World, but probably win the league because that is a that is going to be a big-time atmosphere down in Waco. Uh, Colby, anything else strike you before we uh, – uh yeah, yeah, one other thing. Just anybody out there, if you hate yourself, Indiana and Nebraska play at 630 on the Big Ten Network. Nebraska's a five-point favorite over Indiana. So uh, if you really want to watch bad football, 630, Big Ten Network. Well, Michigan at Iowa. Talk about offensive fireworks. <laughs> 42 is the over-under in that game. Michigan is somehow only a 10-and-a-half-point favorite as the number four team in the country over the Iowa team that couldn't beat Iowa State, couldn't score a touchdown against South Dakota State, regular South Dakota, I don't even remember. I, I just... Boy, I, I'm going to try to avoid that one. OUTCU plays at the same time. I, I don't know if I'm going to talk myself into getting the two TVs going or just ignore Michigan-Iowa because that's just going to be some ugly time machine football. Shout out to uh, Chuck at ATC Hunt. He tweeted uh, to our, my tweet that I said we we're going to have an announcement. He said, you got the Iowa punter on the podcast? Is that the big <laughs> announcement? 
Uh, I thought that was a great tweet. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, no, we won't be having him on, but it is funny that they're like promoting the Iowa and Rutgers punter. I mean, it's just, and, and don't look now, Colby, I'm already seeing tweets from like Fox sports, ESPN about big, bad Minnesota making a run to the big 10 title game because they are this year's Iowa. You don't got to play the big boys, just beat up on Illinois, Nebraska, Iowa, whomever that, that cream puff division they got up there in the big 10. So Minnesota, I cannot wait to wager against you in the Big Ten title game whenever you lose by 40 to uh, Ohio State. Yeah, all you need to do to go undefeated in the Big Ten West uh, is have a 23-year-old quarterback who's been there for five years and just win by a field goal every week over teams who can't throw passes. That, that's what you have to do to win the Big Ten West. Probably what Minnesota's going to do this year. Uh, Carson, I'll be honest with you. If Oklahoma State were not to make a college football playoff, which obviously would be best-case scenario, maybe you sneak into one of those New Year's Six Bowl games. Oklahoma State versus Minnesota in a New Year's Six Bowl game, uh, a 12-1 and Minnesota team, oh, that would be a dream. Oklahoma State would beat the brakes off Minnesota. It would be perfect. Oh, it would be amazing. And that's something I'm really looking forward to once we get to this 12-team playoff because there's not a ton of – high caliber bowls that tie the big 10 and the big 12. But I think we'll see those matchups a lot more in a 12 team uh, playoff. So if Oklahoma state gets matched up with a Minnesota in a playoff, like I might fly to Vegas and, and just hammer a three point underdog Oklahoma state going up against some supposedly NFL caliber defense, just because they play in a conference that, is allergic to the forward pass. I mean, sign me up for that because the more times we, we start seeing the Big Ten interconference, you know, they've been they've been paired with the Pac-12 all this time. And that's been really that's been really good for them because they get to go play in the Rose Bowl against the, the Pac-12, which is the worst power five conference in America. So yeah, I, I welcome the the Big Ten Big 12 challenge when it occurs. Yeah, I do as well. I think that, that would bode very well for Oklahoma State. Uh, Carson, anything else today? I think we've uh, pretty got much got it covered. Big 12 opener tomorrow. It's a big one. Yep, huge one tomorrow. Uh, stay tuned. My plans may or may not change to where we can do it on Saturday night. I'm still waiting word on that, but uh, I will keep you posted. Colby will keep you posted on uh, our Twitter accounts. We hope to go live Sunday at noon, but if that changes and we're able to go live after the game, uh, we'll let you know on Twitter. So make sure you follow Colby. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. And uh, Colby, I can't wait to talk to you uh, after this one. We're going to have a lot to discuss. Yeah, one way or another, we're going to have a lot to discuss. Follow us on Twitter at Colby J. Powell at Carson underscore OKC. We will keep you updated uh, on We want Braylon. We want Braylon. Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. Love it. Everybody enjoy the game tomorrow. We're back this weekend. Go Pokes.